It's great to see you today. Today, I'm going to talk about having a positive self-vision. Now, we hear a lot about self-image, okay? We hear a lot about self-image. And your self-image relates to your self-vision. They're intertwined. They go together. Because if you have a good, healthy self-image, you actually believe that you could attempt great things and see it happen. But if you have a weak self-image, a bad self-image, you actually believe that you won't be successful. Your self-image totally determines what you do. You might have a good self-image in one area and a bad self-image in another area. You might have a good self-image with school and grades, but a bad self-image when it comes to relationships. So you feel like when it comes to relationships, nobody's going to want to be with me. If you have that attitude, probably nobody will want to be with you because that attitude will show. You know, your self-image does come out. The way that we think about ourselves has everything to do with what we're willing to do with our lives. It has everything to do with the vision that we have. And your personal vision is never going to be higher than what you think about yourself. Or really, for us as believers, it's not going to be any higher than what you believe God is willing to do in your life. Because there's a lot of people that know God. They're Christians, but because of their own self-image, they still don't believe God would use them for anything productive. Well, that's a contradiction, right? I have faith in the God of the universe, but I don't believe that he's going to make an impact in my life to make me better. It's a sign that there's something lacking there in our faith. But look at what God says. Look at what Jesus says. These are his words in John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life, they meaning us, and have it to the full. So he's saying, I want to give you a full life, a meaningful life, a significant life. That's what he's saying. And God wants to offer us great things. We just don't think that we're worthy enough to receive it. We just don't think that we have what it takes. So We can read a verse like that and not believe it for ourselves. I can believe that for somebody else. Yeah, because look at what they have going for them. And the whole point is it has to do with who God is. It has nothing to do with who we are. In Matthew 6, 22 and 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Obviously, he's not talking about your physical eyes. He's talking about your vision, how you see the world, how you see God, how you see yourself. And if you see everything in a negative way, well, you're probably going to have a pretty negative existence. If you see yourself as being worthless, you will live out that type of life that you believe about yourself. It's not what God sees, but if you believe that you're worthless, you'll act like you're worthless. That's what you'll go for because that's what you believe about yourself. But if you believe that you're successful, if you believe that you're going to be successful, you know what you do is you'll try to be successful because you believe that that's where I belong. I belong there. That's who I am. Now, some people believe that that they're successful because of their own personal pride and arrogance. But what I'm saying to us as a believer We should believe that because of God. Think about it. 
With God working in me, I can shoot for the moon. With God helping me, I can do it. And you can have a 100% true, honest view of who you are with all your faults. And no, I can never do that. And at the same exact time, no, I can never do that. But with God, come on. Let's go for it. Let's try it. Because your faith isn't in yourself. Your faith is in God. That's why as a believer, we don't have an excuse for not going for something big. Because we have faith in God. We believe he's going to help us. If I don't believe in God and I see who I am, of course I'm going to have. I can't do that. Because I know who I am. I know my weaknesses. I know my faults. I know I'll never be good enough. If you feel useless, if you feel hopeless, you're going to live that type of life. And it ruins your life when God wants so much more. You know, God gave you the ability to have an imagination. And in imagination, you can imagine great things happening. You know your eyes take in 4 million bytes of information every second? And the moment that input reaches your brain, with it, which is instant, that data is processed, and you can see a 3D color picture in your mind. You know, you can think about it. Like, for example, I could talk about a wild horse running through a field. And I'm, only ta- I'm not showing you a picture. I'm only verbalizing it. But our minds can take in what we hear, and we can start seeing it in our mind. And each of us would have a different color horse running through the field but in a different field. But each of us, in our imagination, will see that horse running through the field. Why is that? Because God's given you the ability to use your imagination. He's given you the ability to dream big ideas. To look at your company and see where it is. And in your mind, imagining it getting better. To, see, to seeing your marriage where it is. But in your mind, you're imagining how it can get better. To seeing your job or lack of job and where you are, but using your mind to see where it could go. God gave you that imagination. He gave you that ability to dream. And you use that same imagination when you build your own self-image. Everybody has an image of who you think you are, of what you feel about yourself. And whatever your image is of yourself, I can guarantee you it's not 100% true, right? But you're using your imagination. Some people, when they use their imagination of what they feel about themselves, who they are, some people try to block out weaknesses so they feel better about themselves. Some people actually are the opposite. They'll ignore their strengths and they feel worse about themselves. But we all have... And imagination, and based on how you see yourself, that's the life that you'll pursue. If you feel like, I'll never be good enough to graduate from college, you won't try. Why would you even, you're not going to pay money to go if you don't think you can do it. You know, you go for the things that you believe that you should be at. Now, I'm not saying everybody should go to college. What I'm saying is, you will shoot for things that you believe you can reach, And most people will never shoot beyond that unless you have faith. Unless you're relying on a God greater than yourself. Because you won't try otherwise. And so many people have a negative vision that's holding them back. And you could rise higher. You could overcome obstacles. But you're limited by your own vision of yourself. 
your own image. And that holds you back from having a great vision. The Bible says your eyes are a lamp to the soul. And like I said, it's not talking about physical sight. But through the eyes of faith, you have a spiritual vision. You have a person, how you see yourself as a person. It's all through faith. And how you see those things are going to determine how you live. And a lot of people settle for average because that's what they have in their heart. That's what they have in their heart. That's what they believe about themselves. And if you don't take God into the picture, you never will accomplish the great things that you could. Just simply by saying, well, with God, I believe I, can, I should try this. I, I'll stretch myself. I feel like I'm only here. But with God's help, I'm going to try. Without faith, you won't try, I promise you. You will never try because nobody is going to try to do something that they don't believe that they can do. So you want to look at your life through your eyes of faith and rise to a new level. Accomplish things that you really thought you could never accomplish. Receive things that you really believed you could never receive. Give in a way that you believed that you could never give. Love in a way that you believed you could never love again. I was hurt so bad, I'm never going to love somebody again. Well, you have to have faith now. Because you've put a, a human limitation on yourself. And in fact, you have the ability to love more than what you've ever loved before. But it takes faith. Enjoying life more than I've ever enjoyed life before. Because some people feel like, you know, that was the good old days, but now it's all downhill from here. <laughs> no. The rest of your days can be the best of your days. The rest of your days can be the best of your days. But it has everything to do with what you believe. And you will act out what you believe. You won't act out what you say to me. Some people say to me one thing, but they're acting out what they really believe. You will act out what you believe. You will put into practice what you believe. And you can believe that our family can serve God more. And put it into practice. And right now you think, like, I don't see how we could, you know, make a difference in the world. You can. You will act out on the vision that you have. And that's why you need God in that vision. Because you're believing what he can do in your life. And it stretches you and it moves you to a higher ground. Do you know we have a tendency to produce what we put in front of us? I know people that would do things like, in, the, in a worldly kind of success way, like uh, they're in businesses and they want to take that business to the top. So just to put something inside of their mind, they'll walk down the strand once a week because they're not at that point yet. But they walk because they see all those beautiful, huge homes on the strand in Manhattan Beach. And it's to motivate them like, if I really give this 100% and I keep going, I have a goal. And there's something about visually seeing it that can motivate people. When you see things, what you see determines a lot of what you do in your life. What you see determines what you believe a lot of times. There's a story. It's a very strange story. Jacob marries Rachel. She's beautiful. And they're living with uh, Rachel's dad, Laban, his father-in-law. And as Jacob works for Laban, Jacob is so successful 
that Laban is getting richer and richer and richer because of his work. He's really good at what he does. It's, you know, sheep and that type of thing. And this is way back in the Bible days. And so what happens is Jacob has felt like he's done what he can, and he's ready to go home now back to where he lives. So he says, you know, I want to take my wife and my children. We're going to make a move now back home. Well, Laban says, no, 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 no. Because Laban doesn't want him to go. Because Laban says, everything you do is successful. He knows he's wealthy because the day he hired Jacob is when everything started changing. So he doesn't want to let him go. And here's what Laban says in the notes, Genesis 30, 27. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, like you're my son-in-law, if I found favor in your eyes, please stay. The Lord has blessed me because of you. So Jacob, who, by the way, Laban wasn't treating Jacob very well because Jacob worked really hard, but Laban kept all the profits. He worked really hard, and, and he felt like he was kind of cheated. So Jacob says, okay, I'll make a deal with you. If I work for you for a certain amount of time, all the sheep that are born with spots or speckles on them, I'll keep them. And all the sheep that are just regular white sheep, you keep them. Well, most of them are going to be that way, of course, white. So uh, Laban says, fantastic deal. And then Jacob gets all these sheep, and he goes to the place where they mate, and he surrounds them by all these speckled and spotted branches. So all they're seeing all the time is this. And every sheep, I don't know what a baby sheep is called, a lamb or whatever. Every lamb is born speckled and spotted. Everyone. And he ends up before time, he has them all. That's all his. Okay? Now, we know that that's impossible. We know that if sheep look at speckled and spotted branches, it doesn't produce speckled and spotted sheep. But it was God doing a miracle. But God was also teaching a lesson to Jacob and to us. Because God's doing a miracle, but what is it, what is it that God is trying to show Jacob through this miracle? He's trying to emphasize to him, what you see is what you shoot for. If you see yourself as a loser, you won't try for that job because, oh, they would never hire me. Why would you waste your time? If you see yourself as something that God wants to bless my life, God wants to promote me, God wants to do something great in my life, and then you hear this great job, you apply. Why? Not because you believe that you're great, but because you believe that God wants you to excel. And once you apply, now you have a chance of getting that job. What's a guaranteed way to not get the job? Don't apply. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. You will not get the job. They're probably not going to show up to your door and say, we don't know you, and you never applied for this job, but God, you must have been praying at home because God told me to come over to your house and hire you. You know why God would never do that? Because God probably isn't going to help you if you're a chicken. Because how much faith does it take to be a chicken and stay at home and not look for the job? But it takes more faith to say, I know I'm not good enough, but because of faith in God, I'm going to try and see what God does. You have a chance if you're going for it. What you look at, what you see, what you believe affects the outcome. When I grew up in a lower middle class home, 
there were six, six kids, my mom and dad and my grandmother, nine of us in the house. It was a three-bedroom house with one bathroom. Uh, they took the garage and converted it into a, a big, big room to give us more space to, for bedrooms. And uh, no air conditioning in the southeast with 100% humidity and super hot weather. And you know what that did for me growing up? It made me tough in one way. In one way, it made me really tough because when you live like that, you hear a lot of people complaining over wimpy things. And you think, man, what a wimp. Grow up. Life can be a lot tougher than what you're going through. It makes you tough in one way, but I'm going to tell you the negative thing. It ruins your mind. I'm telling you, it ruins. It doesn't make your mind better. It ruins your mind. You know why? Because when you're used to not having, and you see it in your family, and you see it growing up, and you see it in the neighborhood that you're in, do you know what you start thinking? You start thinking that that's where you belong. That's your life. What I'm saying is that becomes normal. So you know what kind of goals you shoot for? Goals that are within that realm. You know, you think in that type of mindset. You see your self-image based on those type of things. And you hold yourself back, and you don't even know you're doing it. It's not on purpose. You don't know that you have a poverty mindset. You don't know that you're doing that to yourself. You just do it automatically. And the goals you shoot for are low. But they're higher sometimes than what you are. But they're low. Because of your own mindset that you, op- you open up your mind to this being good. Here's what reached me. Okay? Here's what changed me. What, what did I have to do to get out of that mindset? God used an amazing thing to do. It is he started sending me on mission trips to Kenya and Rwanda. And on these mission trips, I'm surrounded by people that are super poor and they're diseased. And their conditions are horrible living conditions. And I want to help them. I try to help them. And you know what I found out? I was shocked. I wanted to help them more than they wanted to be helped. And you know why? It's because when the whole town is poor and diseased, and the whole town is struggling... They don't know. They don't know how bad they have it. They don't see it. Because you don't feel like life is so bad when it's happening to everybody you know. So your mentality of what's normal, of what's good, is super low. Now, I believe God wants those people to excel. I believe that God wants them to have the best life in their marriages, you know, relationally, physical, physical health, uh, financially. I believe that God, because they're God's children, and I'm a dad. I want my children to succeed. I'm a dad. I want them to make it financially. I want them to have great marriages. I want them to have a great life. I don't want their kids to be diseased. I don't want that environment for them. Why do I think that about them? Because I love them. They're my kids. The people in Kenya and Rwanda, those are God's children. God wants them to have the best. That's what God had to do to me. He put me in those situations, and then I realized I'm the same way. Because I saw myself the way I grew up. And even though it didn't compare to what I saw there, 
God used it to open my mind and say, Jimmy, you do this to yourself. You're thinking, how can they do that? Well, how can you do that? And I realize I'm the same. I've set limitations on my life based on my influence of upbringing, and then I had to break out of that. I said, you know what? And that's why you hear me say a lot in my sermons, believe in a big God for big things. You know why I share that to you? Because that was a major battle that I had to break through. All the limitations I put on myself based on my environment, based on the way I was living, not based on believing in a big God for big things. So those things can damage your vision. They can ruin your goals, and you believe that that's where you belong so you never have the best life that God wants to give you. Because I'm telling you, God wants you to excel. He does. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. He does. Because if he's a loving father, I want Andrew to be the best he can be. I want Alex to be the best he can be. I want Elise to be the best she can be. I want Arthur to be the best that he can be. And I want to support them and help them in every way. Why? Because they're my kids. God loves his children. God loves you. He wants you to be the best you can be. But do you want to be the best you can be? Or do you hold yourself back because of self-image that's been built by this world and all the things that go wrong in this world instead of a self-image that's been built by God saying, you're the son of the creator. You're the daughter of the creator. When you start thinking about who your father is, then it should expand your mind and say, wow, God really wants me to shoot for the best. And when you love God, what's going to happen? You're going to love other people too. And you'll take that success and help others as well. But God wants to do great things. It's us. We don't want to break through. We see ourselves as not accomplishing. We don't believe we can see those dreams happen. That's why we need God. Your imagination is like a canvas. And you get to decide what picture you paint. It's your imagination. So in your imagination, you can say, what kind of life do I want to have? And God says, you get to pick what colors you want. You get to paint the picture. It's your imagination, right? It's your imagination. You can imagine for as much as you want to. In other words, you can believe God for as much as you want to believe. I am not going to say that everything you believe God for is going to happen. Okay? You can believe God for great things. It's not all going to happen, right? We know that. But what I'm trying to say is this. If you don't believe in God for something big, you won't try anything big. And for sure, you won't have your best. But if you believe in God for something big, like, you know, I think maybe with God's help, I should take that step. You'll try. And I can tell you what. It doesn't happen overnight. But that step that you were brave enough to take when you were 18 moves you up a level. Maybe not your biggest goal. And then that step that when you got 23 and you had to make another choice and, and you, because of faith, you took that step and went for it. It moves you up a level. And over time, you see what God does and it probably won't be overnight. But you want to see your life going for it. You want to be characterized as someone that believes in a big God for big things and tries. And God's not going to judge you by your success in the eyes of the world. But God does judge us by our faith. 
and your faith is showing what you believe and you try. But I guarantee you, if you try, things happen. Things don't happen when you don't try. So you get to choose the picture that you paint of your future. This is what I want my future to look like. This is the kind of marriage I want to have. You get to decide in your imagination the picture that you paint. This is what I like to do. This is the type of life I like to give my kids. You get to decide in your imagination what you shoot for. What you shoot for. And then you go for it. Let God decide what happens, the outcome. But I guarantee you, if you don't have something, to, if you don't believe you can do it, you won't try. God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. The problem was he had no children. And here's, it was worse. He was old with no children. And it was worse. His wife had already gone through menopause. <laughs> so, okay, God, I'm going to be the father of, a great na- of great nations. It's not going to happen. I don't have any children. I don't see how that's going to happen. And then in Genesis 15, 5, here's what God said to him. God took him outside and said, it's nighttime, okay? Look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. Why does he take him outside? Why does he say, look at the sky? Because if God said, you're going to be the father of many nations, then why doesn't God just say, have faith and believe? Why does God get him outside and have him look up at the stars and say, see all those stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. Try to count them. You know, that's what you're going to, that, that's, why does he do that? Well, Abraham lives in the desert. Most of the time in the desert, there's clear skies. What's going to happen every day? Because he doesn't even have the first child for another 20 years. What's going to happen every day? Or he doesn't have Isaac for another 20 years. What's going to happen every day that he goes outside? He's going to see all these stars. And he's going to say, oh, yeah. This is how many kids I'm going to go have. Then the next day, my wife's still not pregnant. It's hard to believe. Then he walks outside and he sees all this. Oh, wait. This is how many kids I'm going to have. Then the next day, his wife still isn't pregnant. Then he walks outside. Wow, this is what you see. Your visual image impacts you. What you visualize in your head impacts you. If you visualize in your head over and over and over, she's never pregnant, she's never pregnant, she's never pregnant, you can believe it's not going to happen. If you visualize, this is how many kids I'm going to have, this is how many kids I'm going to have, this is how many kids I'm going to have, then you don't lose faith. The Bible calls Abraham the father of faith, the father of our faith. So, sure enough, uh, she does have a child, and sure enough, Israel and also the Arabs come from Abraham as well. And God does great things in his life, and it does come to pass. It's a miracle birth, of course, when she gets pregnant. But there's something about God wanting you to see it, to believe it, to encourage you, to visualize it, to believe that God can do great things. See, what we want to do is we want to say, I've got a lot of problems, and we focus there. And that makes us believe we're not going to have success. Or I'm in debt, and we focus there, and that makes us believe that we're never going to have financial things go well. Or I'm lonely, and we focus there, and we feel like I'm never going to get married, or I'm never going to have great relationships, or whatever it would be. And what we want to do is we want to start seeing things through the eyes of God and seeing yourself as rising out of that trouble. Put on that canvas the painting that you're making 
of someone that's conquering the obstacles in front of them. And you're doing that because you believe that God can make a difference. Senior marriage is coming out of the problems. It's just all these things. So how to have a, a great self-vision? I want you to write down a few notes here. The first one is see yourself through God's eyes. See yourself through God's eyes. See, because our problem is we see ourselves, we see our shortcomings, we're honest about it, and that's why we don't believe we can have greater success than what we have. It's not that we're lying to ourselves. We're being honest. This, I'm, I, I'm not good at that. I'm never going to be good enough. And because of that, we don't try and we don't believe and we don't achieve. But when we look at it through God's eyes, we say, but with God, he can help me. And now I'm willing to try things I would have never tried before. Philippians, here's how Paul did it. Paul said, I can do everything. Is that what he said? I can do everything. Well, he didn't really say that. He said, I can do everything through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. So Paul was admitting that he couldn't do it. Paul was admitting, I'm not good enough. Paul never said, I can do everything. He, he, he never said that. He was admitting, I can't. He said, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. So what he's saying is, with Jesus' help, we can do this. With Jesus' help, I can do this. So he's trusting Jesus, and therefore he's trying to do things that in his mind and heart he knows he can't do. I'm not good enough to do this. I'm, but with Jesus, I can do it. So he tries. That's the difference. It's through faith. They tried and excelled. And we know what he did. Instead of looking at inner strength, he's looking at supernatural strength from outside, meaning a God, a power greater than himself, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that's pretty powerful. If you can raise somebody that's dead back to life, that's power. He's looking to that guy to help him. She's saying, oh, yeah, with God, we can do this. And he goes on and does great things. He writes over half the books, you know, in the New Testament. He almost single-handedly won Europe for Christ. I mean, it was basically through him and the people he trained. So uh, he did incredible things that no one should have time to pull all that off and have so much success. But he didn't do it because he believed he could do it. He did it because he believed, well, if God helps me, this can happen. And you know what happens? You'll find that God steps in. Things happen that you never believed that you were good enough to do. And you weren't good enough to do it. It's because God helped you. So when you have faith in God, you're willing to take some of those scary steps that you don't think you could do. Like I said, for some person, it could be a scary step to go to, to college when you don't feel like you have what it takes to, pat, to do it. That's a scary step. But it might change your life for the better. To take that job that you don't think that you're really good enough to do but you try. And you'll find a lot of times when you get in there, it works out. You learn it. And you're doing things better than you ever believed. Here's what God says in Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. God wants to prosper you. He doesn't want to harm you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. That's what God is saying. This is who we want to rely on. This is why we want to try for bigger things than what we think we can do. And we see this over and over in the Bible. Moses didn't have a good self-image. And he actually murdered somebody and split. And God picks that guy 
to lead Israel out of slavery. A guy that didn't believe he was worthy. David committed murder and adultery. You know, all these people obviously turned to God at a certain point in their life. And David, when he gets back with God, God ends up using him to be the greatest king they ever had. He didn't deserve it because he was a rotten person to do those things. But he ends up being the greatest king that they ever had. And then Paul used to murder Christians. And that's the one that God uses when he turns to God and gets it to act back together. That's the one that he used to win so many people to faith in Christ and to write half the New Testament books. Gideon was the youngest man in the smallest tribe, the least influential family in that tribe. And he felt like he was a loser or nobody. And he turns to God, and that's the guy that God uses to deliver Israel from their enemies, the least likely one. Jonah even knew what God wanted him to do and didn't like God's plan and tried to go the opposite direction. And even in his disobedience, God still picks him to be the person that goes to Nineveh. Back at that time, 120,000 people in a city was like the largest city you could ever find. And they had 120,000 people, and they were corrupt. It was an evil city. And God used him and his preaching to bring that city to repentance, and they turned to God. A whole city turned to God because of one man's preaching. A guy that didn't even want to do it to begin with. God, I don't want to do that. That's the last thing I want to do. In fact, I don't like those guys. So the Bible is filled with people that on their own strength, they really messed up big time. They were really some big shortcomings in their character, in their integrity sometimes. And then he'll take those people and he's used them. Obviously, they, there comes a point where they say, okay, God, I'm going to do what you want. And then he uses them for great things. When I look at their stories, I'm pretty sure that nobody in this room is as bad as those guys. Okay? So if he can use those rotten people, I guess he could use you and me. God can do great things if you're willing to allow him. The second thing is accept your weaknesses. See, we want to cover up our weaknesses we, because we're afraid. We fear the consequences of exposure. We fear the shame that would come if people understood the weaknesses we have. So to have a great vision, we have to be transparent about our weaknesses. Um, if you have a weak area and you're transparent with it, uh, with somebody, it's easier to overcome it. And there are some weaknesses that are just limitations. Like, oh, I'm weak at this. And if I'm honest with myself about this weakness and I'm running a business, I'll hire somebody that's strong. Let's say that your weakness is math, but you're running a business. You don't have to be great at math to run a business, but you need somebody that you can trust that's good at math to be there with you. You know what I mean? So if you're honest with whatever your weaknesses are, that's when you get help. Even if it's a, 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 a sin type of thing. Like with AA, the first thing is the guy has to admit, I am an alcoholic. Once he admits it, that's a major step. Now, they can, now, there's, now we can do something. Now that he's admitted that he has a problem, now you can start working on it. But as long as he denies and says, I don't really have a problem, I've got it under control, he, ne- he can't get better, right? So... Admitting your weaknesses actually helps you. It doesn't hurt you in your success. It helps you be aware of what you need to do so that you're successful. 
This is a weakness, so I need to stay away from that. I'm not good at doing this, so I need to hire somebody that is. For example, you'll never see me leading worship on Sunday morning. I'm smart enough to know that that's my weakness. I have a limitation there. And you'd be smart enough to start showing up 20 minutes late if I was. Because after one time of me leading worship, you'd probably wouldn't show up on time again. Because I'm not good at singing in front of people. I know my limitations. So what do you do? You get people that are good at it to do it. So that brings you success when you're honest about your weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 2.3, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. This is Paul talking about himself. What he's saying is, you think God uses superstars? And Paul is saying, he used me. And I'm the one that came with you in weaknesses and fear and trembling. And God used me. On the outside, what does that look like? On the outside, he looks like a loser. You know, weakness, fear, trembling. He looks like a loser. That's who God used. So what is Paul saying by this? He's trying to let you know, and he's trying to let the people he's speaking to, God's not looking for superstars. He's looking for ordinary people like you and I. And he says, but he'll use you to do super things. But you know what happens to you? You give him the credit because you know it's not you. See, if you think that you did it, you're prideful and arrogant. You say, look at me. But when you're shooting for something and you know like you're not good enough, you say, that was God. He gets the credit because, come on, I'm not even good at that type of stuff. You know what my number one fear of growing up? Public speaking. <laughs> even in college, I was so petrified of public speaking. When I was forced into having to do it, I would go on a 10-mile run before I went to class because what I discovered is I would come, and I was in shape back then, but I, I would come to class so exhausted and tired that first of all, my hands wouldn't be like this the whole time because I was just too exhausted to shake. And I'd be there, and all that energy that I was nervous about was out, and I was just didn't care because I was so tired, so i get up there. And I probably did a lousy job, but it was the only way I could get in front of people to talk. Isn't that weird? Now I'm a public speaker. But you know what? Do you know what I believe? I give God all the credit because I know who I am. I think, man, this is a God thing. I could have never been up in front of people talking. It's God. And I feel very grateful to God because I really believe it's him. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 15, it says, Yet we who have the spiritual treasure are like common clay pots in order to show the supreme power belongs to God and not to us. He's saying, that's Paul again, he's saying, we're like clay pots. You know how clay pots can break easily? They're fragile. You might think you're, you're not fragile, but you are. Everybody in here can be broken emotionally, you can be broken physically in your body, spiritually. We're like clay pots. We, we're, we're weak. And it says we are like clay pots in order to show the supreme power belongs to God, not to us. So he said, we're just clay pots. So what it tells us is it's really God that gets the credit because I know that we're not that. We're not the superstars. We're ordinary people. As God's grace reaches more and more people, they were offered to the glory of God more prayers and thanksgiving. In other words... If they thought that Paul and them were so great, you know what they would be offering praise and thanksgiving to? Paul. Paul, we want to offer you praise and thanksgiving because you're so awesome. That's really what they would do. But when people understand people's weaknesses, and they say, well, with those weaknesses, that's God, who do they start giving praise and glory to? God. That's why understanding and being honest about your weaknesses is an important thing. 
then people understand it was God. And if God can do that in Jimmy's life, maybe God can do something in my life. Maybe God can take my weakness and use it as a strength. Which you wouldn't try unless you had faith in God to try that. In 2 Chronicles 69, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. What is that, that saying? Is God is just looking for a heart that's right. He's not looking for the superstar talented person. He's saying, all I want you to do is get your heart right. Just get your heart right with me and I'll work with you. And watch what happens. See, we're thinking, I have to have this skill and that skill and be a superstar at this. And, you know, and he said, get your heart right. And I would take even your weaknesses and use you in a great way. God wants to use you in a great way. He wants your life to make an impact. But he wants you to be real and authentic and honest about your weaknesses and who you are. You know, there's two pillars of ministry. One is Paul's confession, one's Peter's confession. Peter confessed in the Bible, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he's confessing ministry is based on you. It's all about you. But Paul made a confession one time, and he says in the scriptures, we are only men. We are only men. That's where ministry comes. It's those, but thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, and we are only men. When you put those together, I'm only a man, but you're the God. That's when ministry works. But when you start thinking too highly of yourself, that's where it goes wrong. Here's the problem. We don't give God enough credit for who he is, and we're thinking too much belongs on us. And God is saying, no, I want your heart right. God wants you to do your best, but he wants your heart right. But he wants you to put faith in him being good enough to make it happen. Look at Hebrews 11.32. I don't have time to tell about the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised and who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword and whose weakness was turned into strength. Isn't that beautiful? He's talking about these great people whose weakness was turned into strength. See, it sounds like he's talking about the strengths, right? And he's saying these great, great, great things whose weakness was turned into strength. And you think, oh. So God is made it happen, is what he's saying. Now, there are some weaknesses that will prevent you from being all you can be. Like, for example, if you choose to be lazy, you're not going to achieve things. You know, those are character qualities that you have to, you know, that's why I said God wants your heart. You do have to get your heart right with God. God wants your heart, and then he'll use you uh, the way that you were designed to be used. Hudson Taylor said all God's giants have been weak people because they're just like you and I. Look at 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. God purposely chose what the world considered nonsense in order to put the wise men to shame. He's talking about them, you know, just regular people. And what the world considers weak in order to put powerful men to shame, he receives glory. God used weak, normal people to do great things, and it puts the world to shame. Like, wow, if God can use those guys, then it's really God that did it. What's the benefits of your weaknesses? It forces you to depend on God, to depend on God. If I know that I have weak areas, then God, I've got to depend on you. It also prevents pride. If you know that you have weak areas, 
then you're not prideful because you realize, I'm not that great. God's great. And because of him, I believe in great things. It causes a greater dependency on other people. If I understand I have weaknesses, then I trust and depend on you. And it makes me the kind of pastor that I don't hover over people that are doing ministry. When Abba oversees the children's ministry, I don't hover over her to make sure she's doing everything right. You know why? Because I understand she's probably pretty good at this and I'm not. I know I'm, I'm weak. And when Jerry and, and Michelle lead worship, I don't hover over them and make sure you're doing it right. You know why? Because I know I have weaknesses. I trust them way more than I trust myself on these things. So when you're honest about your weaknesses, you, you allow other people to rise up and do what they were meant to do. And it expands your capacity to accomplish greatness. Because now you've opened the doors for other people and it makes things work. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.4. 4. God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what happens is we've been comforted by God about our weaknesses, and through that we can comfort other people when they have weaknesses. It makes you non-judgmental. You realize I have weaknesses too, and I can share my weaknesses, and it can encourage somebody else. Like, if he can make it, and she can make it, and they have those weaknesses, maybe I can. And then number three in your notes, do your shape. Do your shape. If you've been here for a while, you know what we mean by the word shape. S stands for spiritual gifts. Everybody here has, you know, gifts that you have that you're good at doing. H stands for heart's passion. A stands for abilities. P stands for your personality type, and E stands for experiences. And we say you have these gifts, you have these passions, these abilities, your personality type, these experiences, they all work together so that you kind of know what you should do. You notice that I don't say, if you could do anything and you were guaranteed success, what would you try? I don't say that. I say, if you could do anything and you were guaranteed success based on your shape, what would you try? Because I realize that God gave everybody in here spiritual gifts, Hearts, passions, abilities, personality type experiences. You look at those, and that's God's way of saying, hey, I've gifted you. Go for it now. Go for it. Look at what you're good at doing and do something great with it. Here's what we struggle with. Who am I? I'm struggling with my identity. Do I matter? I'm, I'm struggling. Am I important? What is my place in life? I'm struggling with am I having an impact? And what I've come to know is if a person can understand how God has shaped them, and say, okay, I'm going to be the best me that God wants me to be. That's when you start making an impact. That's when you, you, you're not struggling with your identity because you kind of know this is how I'm wired. This is what I'm supposed to be. What's going to mess me up is if I try to be like, maybe I find another pastor who's really good and I try to be like him. I can't be like him. It's a different person. I've got to be the best me I can be. You know, but if you compare yourself to somebody else, you might feel like a loser. Because they're better than you at something. If you compare yourself with somebody else, you might get prideful because you're better than them. You don't want to compare yourself to other people. You want to just be the best you that you can be. So there's two things that you need to know. One is, I was made for a purpose. You were made for a purpose. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created by God to do something. And look at Job 10.8. Your hands shaped me and made me. You are shaped by God. He shaped you. He made you. He created you for something good. 
He created you to use your gifts and talents. And the more that you use your gifts and talents in the workplace and you discover what you're good at, the more likely you are to succeed and have success and financial success. And that helps with the marriage. That helps with the kids. You know, it's, if you have financial success, there's a better chance you can get your kids in the best schools, right? These are good things. Money's not evil. The love of money will cause you to do evil things. But money's a good thing if you use it right. It's a bad thing if you use it wrong. You know, but it's the love of money that, you know, that's going to be a problem in your life. So, but, you know, you can use them and you can succeed, but you also have those same gifts and talents and you can use it for God. I think of uh, doctors I know that will go on mission trips every year and they'll go to the poor countries and they'll go into these poor villages where there's no health care in these third world countries and the people there have no access to any doctor care. And, you know, three or four of these doctors, one's a dentist and stuff, and they'll travel to different places each year and they'll go to a local church and they'll just do free medical for everybody in the whole town. And you know what happens? The whole village shows up. It's amazing. When they've, some of them have had aches and pains for years that some of them just needed one shot. And they've needed that shot for nine years and they've been in pain and because nobody goes there because it's not like our country, you know. And they do things like that. They're really good and gifted at being doctors. And they have said, hey, since we're Christians, let's do it for God also. They do it as an income, but let's do this for God. And every summer they'll go away for two or three weeks and do mission trips. Every summer. They said, let's do this for God too. So what I'm just trying to say is it doesn't matter what you're gifted at doing. Everybody can do something for God. Do something for God. And, um, you know, our church, we allow you to be used. Like, go for it. Whatever your gifts and talents are, we want you to discover them and try them out and experiment. And if you try something and you find out, I thought I'd be good at this, but I'm not re- this isn't really for me. You have our permission to try something else. You're not stuck there forever. We got you. Now you can't get away. No, you have freedom. There's no shame in that. It's, uh, in fact, we're just super happy that you tried. Why? Because what's guaranteed failure? Not trying. The last point here is he wants you to enjoy it. And when you understand your niche, when you understand what you're good at doing, it feels good. And when you understand that you can have a vision greater than yourself and you try it and you have success, it feels good. And you know what that does? It says it makes you feel like I enjoy life. Why is this important? A lot of people don't enjoy life. A lot of people don't. They don't enjoy life. And I'm saying you can. You can enjoy life. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. Accept my lot in life. This is my gifts and talents. I'm going to do what I'm good at doing. You might be in a job that you need to keep for your family. But maybe it's not the happiest job in the world. But you need to keep it for your family because it's, it's important that you keep that job. So you might be in a job like that. But here's the greatest thing when you're involved in a church. Uh, like, I do this for income. But here's my passion. Here's my love. And at the church, I've got a place where I can use that for God. And you could be, like, it could be someone that's a great counselor with people. But they have a different type of job because it's their income. But they love helping people at church with you know, through counseling or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. What I'm saying is everybody 
can make an impact. Everybody can enjoy life. Everybody can enjoy life if we're willing to take steps of faith and believe in God and try with your marriage, with everything. So I hope this encourages you. I hope that today, just by hearing the message, I hope that today that you make a decision. You know what? Like I did. When I came to the conclusion that I had a poverty mindset, that's where I was because I thought all those years where, I was str- where we were struggling and like I, was, I, I described my upbringing, it made my mindset see myself at a level that I chose to be at. I chose to see myself that way. Not on purpose. You just do it automatically. And then to break free from that, I realized, you mean I can have a great vision for my life if I, if I just believe in God for something bigger? And that's what turned my life around. You know, and it makes you happy. It makes you enjoy life. Everybody has limitations that we put on ourselves. What I'm asking you to do is believe in God greater than those limitations. To say, okay, I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm going to believe in a big God for big things. I'm going to have a self-vision that's greater than myself, and God will get all the glory. With that, let's pray. Dear God, beginning today, we're making a commitment to have a new image in our mind of the potential that you want to pour into our life. And Lord, we know that we can paint whatever picture in our imagination that we want to of our future. We can believe in a big thing. So we don't know what the outcome is going to be, God, but we are going to believe in big things. We're going to trust you for something bigger. We're going to attempt things greater, and then the results are up to you. But Lord, we know that you want to do great things in our life, and we want to thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.